Good evening. My name's Patrick. I'm joined by my friend Drew. Hello. This is the Caged Heat Podcast, Episode 3. We know that a lot of you are on the edge of your seats waiting. Waiting for the news of more coming. You're just going to have to settle in. This is the soft open. We do this as we can to the best of our ability. We give according to our ability. We take according to our need. This is a (laughs) 10,000% communist blog. Thanks, Malcolm Gladwell. You're no problem. (laughs) Take what we need. (laughs) (laughs) Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, you know, you're such an inspiring speaker, that's all. I'm a middle-brow TED Talk <laughs> exactly. piece of look, dog shit. Let, let, let me ask you again. <laughs> if only everybody could see what we look like right now. I know, I know. With, the, with these headsets. Yeah, yeah. They it's don't do like, much for us. It's it's very much like we are doing a TED Talk right now. That's um, true. It's very hard to get too self-serious in the context of... That's one of the and reasons yet. I implicitly tr- uh, distrust TED Talks. Is that yeah? Um, Me too. Um, but I I know there are great ones, but you know, I have a limited amount of time to consume things on this earth. We all face this dilemma, and and if I have something as disqualifying as bad headsets, then I'm just happy to be free of an obligation. Man. I feel the same way about the Aspen Ideas Festival and the Atlantic Magazine. I feel like there's the Atlantic Magazine is like oh oh, Atlantic. I think it's Atlantic. Atlantic. Atlantic also sometimes has good shit, but it's like yeah. If you watch too if you watch too much cable news, um, you like there's never any legit peer reviewed academia on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but there's always the Atlantic and yes. TED Talks, and it's this sort of like, like farce of public intellectualism that you have these <laughs> sort of half-ass like, so do you have a degree in something, or like you know did you publish in a major journal? And it's like, no, but I did a thought piece in the New York Times Magazine that really, it <laughs> really popped. I, I was on the View. <laughs> See, I guess I only <laughs> stick around for the Atlantic when, uh, like, I like their more in-depth. Like investigative pieces. Yeah, like they exactly. Did, they they did one on the fast the fast. I don't know what it was the 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 the, the gun running thing you know in Arizona. I don't right. know if you call it Fast and Furious. Totally. But uh, that's where really it was, interesting. It, and it, it was a really good dissection where they basically were like, uh, you know how people are blaming all this on the Obama administration? Well, right. here's our very in depth discussion about how it's actually because of Arizona's terrible gun laws that that these guns are not are leaving federal hands and going into the hands of drug dealers. Oh, that's anyway, awesome. It was yeah. really good. Well, yeah, rule but... of thumb. I mean, I feel like the rule of thumb, especially now that I've taken my break from this shit and I'm kind of coming back with merciless eyes, is just that like reporting in the mainstream media can be good. Analysis in the mainstream media oh. is just awful. Like, oh. <laughs> um, I'm in the middle of blogging about this right now, but. Like I'm, I'm reading this book called The Function of Criticism. That's about sort of the history of cultural criticism, and in a million different ways. Like I would like to label what I do in my various facets as cultural criticism. I feel like 
in the best of all worlds, I have a pretty good resume for it. Mm-hmm. But to a one, the people that are on cable news and call themselves cultural critics uh. are the most just half-assed, fucking, like, chunky diarrhea <laughs> hoses. They just hose diarrhea. Yeah. Um. <laughs> They're like those type of people who they just hose... Yeah, it is. It is like having a rooster tail, just kind of you know, boom. Yeah, exactly. No, well, I mean, like it's they definitely have this thing where it's like, it's like it's like it's like the other night when I was uh, when I was hanging out with some friends of ours actually who remain nameless, but their child was with us, and the child fell down on the ground and it just started screaming, and the child was okay, but for the next twenty minutes it kept screaming. Yeah, like would not right. stop screaming, totally. and, and and totally only started screaming when it saw thought people were looking at it. Right, and that's kind of what I think about them is yes. that it's just kind of like I need to talk, you right. know, like our, our our pure purpose here is to fill up time. Totally, and, and all we need to do is just recycle the same anyway. I'm, this is no, definitely Sharpling was like right on top of this when it when it started with those like I love the eighties shows. Where oh. They would get those comedians um, to have, you know, have hot takes on everything. <laughs> and Sharpling, like, so crystal clear, would just be like, we don't need takes on everything. No. We don't need takes on everything from everybody. Yeah. Like, you can't get at the actually resonant shit if, you know, you're spending seven and a half minutes doing shtick about Meredith Baxter Bernie or whatever in the Lifetime well, movies. Yeah, well, like, yeah, she had family ties and then Lifetime movies. I remember yeah. watching one about her and anorexia at one point. Do you have a problem like with that arc? 12. I think that's a great arc. No, I mean, you know, she, you, know you get a paycheck, right? She made a living, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that lifetime, <laughs> last time I heard... She's, she's, what we call I, it, she, she's what we call a journeyman. Last time I heard <laughs> that Lifetime money's still green. <laughs> So, I don't know about you. I, I, think, uh, I think you work for a living. Like, I, like my aunt. My aunt. Every time I go over to see her at, at my at my uncle's place, she's always walking, watching the Hallmark Channel. Awesome. If they're still making shit and making yeah. money off that, then Lifetime's doing it. They're anyway. responsible for so many holiday movies. Uh huh. <laughs> it's like I've been. It's first. always fucking Christmas over there. Yeah. Can and you it's imagine? Like, you know, can you imagine what? like some like gaffer who like spent the last four <laughs> years, like like seven years studying lenses? His first. Oh. <laughs> and he's sitting there like the reflective Jesus qualities of light. Yeah, totally. Off, Wait so. a second, Meredith Baxter Burney is a compulsive gambler on boat racing in this. Why are we on fan boats? Yeah, <laughs> we should probably pivot to our topic. Yes, yes. Let's pivot. Let's go from, from, from that kind of whatever <laughs> that, that was. It was an example of the diarrhea hose. Yes, was, I was. We might, we from might the be diarrhea two people. hose. We might be two people who like to talk a lot. Though. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> might be. Um, might yes, be. So Pat. Let's just let me just go for it cold. Uh, All right. Tell me about being Irish. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the shit. Um. You know, it's funny. I had this day where people who should know better, who get reimbursed by social insurance companies, um, health insurance companies, 
um, really were like, dude, you're really fucking angry, and you're the only person in your life who doesn't know that you're angry, and you need to figure out a way to manifest that anger in a way that isn't either self-destructive, self-medicating, just sort of like sardonic as though it's like an aesthetic decision or something. Um, and no, no, I'm, I'm making them sound much meaner. They were, okay. they were, they were completely reasonable. And this is, but this is how I hear it in my head. Yeah. Um, I and I thought about doing this podcast and I was like, well, this is perfect because like I can practice being angry at the fucking cultural and the suffocating dog shitty garbage tasting ethnic community from which I draw a good uh. bit of my best and worst. Yes. Um, like I would never go so far as like calling out my abuser on the, that's not the place of a podcast. Um, but like just the general ambiance of it, um, I can explain. Um, and I never really thought about it critically until I moved somewhere where everybody for college, where everybody or almost everybody had people like centuries back. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, these were mostly white Anglo Saxon Protestants. Um, so, yeah. um, so they were sort of landed. Um, and that was totally new to me. And I felt like I said landed. I felt like they had a relationship to the land. Um, uh-huh. Oh yeah. In a way, in a way that like nobody in a, in a suburb of Newark, New Jersey really does. Um, yes. And, uh, and I followed that line of thought. It was something I kind of kept in my back pocket for a long time until I, st- I started really studying. There was, like, one of the best things that happened um, when I was in grad school, when I was working on a tea party, is that, like, just in time, it couldn't have been calculated for the tea party, but just in time, there was, like, a huge flood of really fucking great works um, about the history of conservatism and about the Reagan Democrats and about sort of turning white working class America to the right um, and the role of race in that. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, I, I can, if we do this right, I can get to both, both like first person um, narration of like what it's like to be inside the pressure cooker of all that shit and all that addiction and you know undiagnosed mental illness were the two things that really like pretending that wasn't happening was the work of my first 20 years pretty much um and i had to pretend it wasn't happening because if i complained somebody might pay attention with me and that pay attention to me and that got in the way of my getting the fuck out of dodge at 18 which is basically what i was living for um for a long time um but also i can do some third person kind of like um you know in a way that might be relevant to some of the stuff i know you're very you're interested in and you deal with in your work day um about about kind of 
immigration and moral panics about immigration and like this kind of fantasy of if we could just keep these rubbish people out, <laughs> the inherent goodness of whoever we are uh-huh. will somehow be maintained. And like, I just, well, you know, that actually goes back several hundred years. It uh, does. Back, back in the, well, obviously it would, but, but the funny thing is that they used to say that about Germans. Yeah. Uh, back in the late 18th century, uh, when the U.S. was first starting, they were afraid everybody was going to be speaking German. Yeah. Because of all these German immigrants that were coming, and it was like, just they just find somebody new, you know? No, definitely. And, and it's, I mean, I think um, I get very, I get a lump in my throat because it's totally true the Irish had a shitty experience here. It's totally tr- true they were treated like dogs and that that stuff um, in uh, what's that awful Scorsese movie that's kind of okay that I Gang, watched? Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, where they're walking off the freaking boat and being yeah. given a gun and a Yankee uniform, like you know the yeah, because the Irish don't notoriously have racial problems of their own. Um, so you but, weren't talking about the Departed then, which also could right. be <laughs> that is on TV a lot. Yes, that is. is on TV a lot. I forgot how bad TV with commercials is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was, anyway. I was watching in the mental hospital, and it was just sort of like, wow, the only thing that could make this wor- worse is advertisements for weird pharmaceuticals in interstitially. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a I have a question for you then. Yeah. Just to kind of get us going. Uh, when did your family on both sides were both sides Irish? Right. And when did they come over? Seventy five percent Irish, twenty five percent German, but the the Irish side is the dominant side. Um, on my mother's side. Um, two generations off the boat on my father's side, maybe three. Um, but for our purposes, it's enough to say that it's sort of like how people who have old America online email accounts brag about being like mem- member 120 or whatever. Um, <laughs> I did not know that was a thing. I All was, right. yeah, oh yeah. I was, a, I was from a place where I came up in a place where you wanted to be less generations off the boat. Because if you were less generations off the boat and you moved from Newark to five minutes away from Newark and your parent and your kids went to college and then that and then there was me in the second generation, like it was um that meant that you'd quickly assimilated and that you'd quickly um sort of turned into you know god damn it nobody's better than me i work hard and blah 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 uh-huh. um and uh and yeah that's sort of gross um i mean oh yeah the lump in my throat is about the fact that especially when i was growing up when multiculturalism and what's called political correctness came around um not my parents my parents to their credit were way too sophisticated (laughs) for this sort of talk 
but I would hear like in my friends' parents and, and random strangers and teachers even um, this kind of, you know, the Irish had it as bad as the blacks. They were just like the black. First of all, you're saying the blacks. So that's uh, tipping, <laughs> tipping off. Uh-huh. Like they, they want to be African-American, but I don't say Irish American. Um, uh. and that sort of shit. And, you know, as a, this is me as like a former scholar talking, like nothing ever occurred in all of human history. That's like the triangle slave trade. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah. There's nothing, like, don't, don't try to equi- equivalent, make anything equivalent. Yeah, exactly. Like, so <laughs> it is important if you're doing bottom-up history of the United States, you know that that shit was totally fucked up. But you know what else? The biggest race riot in the history of the United States was in the 1870s, immediately post-Reconstruction, when Irish were protesting having to send their kids to public schools with African-Americans. And similarly, like a flashpoint for the early 70s is when the the integration of LBJ and Martin Luther King um, trickled down or trickled up to the Northeast. Uh You had these, these, yeah, you had these pitched gross battles about, White, uh, the Irish who were now full-blown white folks in their own estimation, um, basically um, refusing again to send their kids to those schools. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just like a profile and, you know, kind of group identity shit at its absolute worst. Um, but it's also, in a lot of ways, what made white you know, the, the term is white ethnic um, folks who were middle class or working class so susceptible to, like, very thinly veiled racist arguments um, and voting Republican. Um, and, and that's the seeds for all the shit right there. Yeah. So when you were growing up, like, I get, I kind of want to understand what the I, was there an Irish community that you guys were a part of like right, how right. was how did that how did that take its form? Um, yeah, I mean there was definitely like eth- ethnic pride. There was there was obviously fucking Saint Patrick's Day. Um, my dad. Um, the only time I ever remember my dad giving me a swig of beer is the only time. Yeah, whatever. Um was at a St. Patrick's Day parade. There was that stuff. Um, the Democratic Party of Northern New Jersey, you can still look this up, was run by what's still referred to as a machine. And there is a disproportionate amount of red-faced white Irish guys at it. Um, and last time I talked to my dad, dad about this, he was like, Pat, it's not really a machine. It's more of an organization. Uh, and and, you know obviously african-americans have a lot of a say in politics in jersey because there are a lot of african-americans but like there's still these vestiges um and you know a lot of irish cops um my grandfather had this hideous quatrain which i'll announce some of um england for sailors ireland for cops uh, Italy for subways built by the blank. 
Um, oh, and, oh. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. And, and to be fair, when these people were when these people would whack nostal- wax nostalgic for the depression, which was always retrograde and fucked up, um, they would talk about how, unlike the politically correct present tense of you know 1987 or whenever I was hearing this, back then everybody got along. Everybody got along so well that, like, mm-hmm. if you walked a block out of the Irish Catholic neighborhood, you were going to get in fights with the Italians. Yes, um, I was about to ask Or the Puerto Ricans, or the, yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and it's all like, Grammy, you know, or Grandpa, you're telling me this story about how everybody got along fine and they had a sense of humor about stuff, and then you just segued into the story about my Uncle Hank taking somebody's eye out with a rock uh-huh. uh, yeah, <laughs> because I, they were in the Italian neighborhood and they had to defend themselves. I had an aunt who shocked the family um, and married an Italian guy and nobody showed up to the, to the wedding. It that was so insane. Um, like, so I, I have a friend. Tribalism. Friend. Yeah, um, I was about to say, like, I have a friend from the Northeast who's Irish, American. He's like, yeah, and he said something to me where he said, yeah, it was really weird. I grew up in a town full of, you know, mostly Italian-Americans. I was like, uh, and I actually looked at him and said, you noticed that? Like, right. I mean, like, right. like to a Southerner, right. I'll get to that later. But anyway, yeah, it, that's crazy to me that there was that division. Yeah, um, and, uh, and hard and, like, hard and fast lines. Like, you don't intermarry. Um, you know, by the time I was going to Catholic school, there were Italians there, too, but we were sort of... And this happened with the Reagan Democrats thing, too. Um, it was all sort of absorbed into a Catholic identity, which is almost as gross, maybe grosser. Um, um, and, and, but there was always this sense of like, yeah, we don't like the kind of clothes they wear, and I, can they really afford those Cadillacs? Um, and this is shit that would just come out of the side of people's mouths. Um, yeah. And, you know, as though... Being at home with the LL Bean catalog was the apex of modish style, but uh, um, <laughs> well, that was very much uh, not just them. Anyway, yeah, yeah. that's my, true. My, da- my dad had LL Bean catalogs like all over the place. Anyway, that was a uh, yeah, that's a um, there's an expression lace curtain Irish, which um, which talks about a depression, which speaks of like a depression era woman who has nothing extra and who lives, you know, barely gets by, but nonetheless has lace curtains in her windows and irons them every, um, every week. Um, my grandmother, my grandmother ironed her curtains until, um, she fell down and broke her hip from trying to hang them again during the weekly iron. Like that, you know, it's like this. This comes more from class literature, but it's like the closer you get to the class below you, the more these really tiny signifiers of your status become exalted to this kind of crazy totemic grandeur. Um, and so, and and so that's how that stuff was, and that's how, and 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 that's why it became. So immediately important. Again, not everybody was like this. There are different 
people, especially like my parents' age, people went to college and saw shit and and tamped down a lot of this stuff. Um, and it's more like, yeah, whatever, we'll have a shamrock uh, hanging in the basement or something. But um, <laughs> but but it's still gross and it's congealing. Yeah. Like all these uh, ethnic, especially Catholic, kind of tribalist ethnic identifications are congealing in the current angry white guy um, thing. Obviously there are a lot of angry white guys in the South and women, um, but we congealed a long time ago though. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and Trump is brilliant at Chris Matthews said apparently the other day that whatever you think about Trump, he has a better ear for the American people right now than anybody analyzing him does like Mm -hmm. he keeps doing shit that seems insane and he keeps you know just sort of reaching people yeah um and giving putting thoughts into the head their heads they thought were their own or whatever um Mm -hmm. and yeah the i mean that's why again you know what i think let's just go let's just go balls out what I think the Bernie Sanderses of the world get dead wrong is that these people I'm talking about, one, inherently yearn for socialism. Like, I, I just, like, yeah. have you lived in America for 10 minutes? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, nobody definitely. wants those people to yearn for socialism more than I do. Nobody fucking yearns for socialism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> except for, yeah. yeah. Um, except for a lot of millennials and God bless. Yeah, exactly. I hope they yeah. get there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but also why are you choosing to re- like, why is so much symbolic heft? Cause it's more symbolic heft than there actually are votes to count from these, from this section of the population. Why are we so invested in getting these people back? In a weird way, it makes them like the most important people, yeah. Um, and and it implies that there can't be a progressive Democratic Party with like heft and gravitas and authenticity until we get them back. Like that, they're somehow more than the sum of their parts. Um, and yeah. I just think that's fucked. I just yeah. think. The votes we need are even more people of color, even more people from the LGBT community, even more cosmopolitan whites who just can't hold their nose and vote for Republicans anymore. They're all there. We should have yeah. gotten more of them. And God bless if we can get if we can get some of those people back on board, fine. But I'm just, I think there's a real cultural thing because Chris Matthews too is always like, you know, the barometer of the Democratic Party is the Catholics. The Catholics are the moral core. And it's like, no, dude, you're aging Irish Catholic who needs the Catholics to be your moral core because you don't want to, A, admit that this country's demographics have changed and the horses left the barn, but B, um, you know, you kind of the burden of being profoundly ambivalent about where you're from is so excruciating that you 
in your lazy and injured moments, you revert to glorifying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's absolutely true. Um, and, and that just killed, like, who knows how much longer I'm going to be able to rebel against this shit, but I'm, luckily I'm really mad at it for sort of personal reasons, but um, <laughs> I just, I, I'm always dumbfounded. Um, it's we, before we got on the air, we were talking about kind of middle brow public intellectualism and I'm always dumbfounded by the degree to which white pundits talk about this very tribal group of people who haven't voted Democrat in 40 years uh, like who literally, literally go back to re- flipping to Reagan, but who also go back to race riots <laughs> in the 19th century, um, you know, when my people weren't even here yet, um, but whatever. Um, and how somehow this is supposed to be like the heartbeat of America or whatever. It just makes me, makes me a, very uncomfortable. It's a narrative that people that existed like back in the fifties or whatever, sixties. And now it's not used. It's not usable anymore. And people don't want to admit that, you know, like we, we still, like people still like extol farmers. It's like, how many people still farm, you know, like, I mean, like it's it's mostly a lot of it's automated now. And a lot of farmers are pretty well off. Uh, Again, not everybody. I'm not going to make a blanket statement there, but, uh, but you know, my family comes from poor Southern nothing. I mean, my dad, literally they were they had a, a chicken farm right and they had no money they had no money i mean they were dirt poverty like complete poor so of uh, course he had the L.O. bean magazines everywhere of course like that's totally I mean, understandable he's he's i'm not gonna get too deep into his psychology because it's you know, i don't know if you want me talking about it but like just the fact that you know i understand how he never wants to be poor again that that is the biggest motivation i think in his life is that he never ever wants to experience that level of shame again. Right. You know, because he's felt that shame for a long time. And, and I, I've told him constantly, like, you shouldn't feel ashamed of it. You know, you should actually yeah. feel very proud of how you've gotten out of it. And he actually, even though he's right wing, when it comes to, he's he's actually not. Like, he's, he even says it to me a lot. And it's like, well, then why are you taking right wing positions? Like, you know, you're, yeah. like, and I don't just mean on the on the race or, you know, LGBT issues. I mean, like, on economic issues. He's He actually... Ends up agreeing with me, but I think he still thinks that he's Republican. I don't know. It's it's very strange. Yeah. Um. Uh, but anyway, uh, I would like to say something um about what you're talking about about that feeling of anger towards the social group you were assigned to, mm-hmm. and and that's how I feel about being a Southerner. Right. Is that I know a lot of people we're in this weird phase where people are like going off by how great the South is, <laughs> and I just don't get it. I'm like, you do realize it's still way less educated than any other part of the country. Right. It's still way poorer than almost any other part of the country. I'm not saying poor people are bad, but the, the existence of such dire poverty, it's still, <laughs> I, I mean, I will say, we've worked on some of our racial issues maybe more openly than other parts of the country have. Right. Where, like, Boston, I always go back to Boston. Boston, to me, is a city that needs to have a conversation. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> like, or, or a few conversations. Yeah. But, but, but being a Southerner, you know, when people are just talking about how great it is, I'm like, it, is that just your excuse for living here? I mean, I'm not saying it's bad to live there. There's great people who live there and there are great aspects of it. But oh, like, so great. But as a person who grew up in it, who my own personal beef with the South, everybody loves how, how nice everybody is. That's what I fucking hate about it. Right. 
is that it's so fake. Right. Everything about people being nice to you there is fake. Yeah. You know, they don't really like you. Right. There's not this sense of, well, you know, like that this they're just nicer down the south. They all call you sweetheart. And yeah, you get used to that. But like I preferred going to the northeast. I'm not saying and, and there's this weird stereotype of northeastern people being assholes. Like I don't think that's true. Um, you know, there's definitely more of an urban environment which right. tends to breed more of a certain type of person. But it's not I don't know. I I appreciate people say I I hate people being passive aggressive and that's right. kind of the dominant culture at least of my parents generation. Right. Myself. Where propriety supersedes everything else, and and a lot of that comes out to play where people are just knee jerk, like they just they just believe things because that's what you believe, and you don't talk about your problems, right? You know, you and 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 the whole idea of conflict goes against what they call their Christian values, and you know, being polite and all that. Anyway, that's just me kind of ranting, but it just kind of hit a nerve because I definitely understand that feeling that you have of may not be my ethnicity because. As we were talking about, the South does not have these divisions, really, uh, historically, of Irish, Italian, whatever. It was, right. of course, white and black. Definitely. You know I mean? that's, the, that's the big division. Um, and, um, you know, it's not to say there wasn't there. My, my stepfather's Catholic, and he was actually, he was told me he was discriminated against when he was in the 50s. Sure. People would not, people would not let their their children date him because Catholics are minorities in the South and they were considered like my, my cousins were raised to believe that Catholics were going to hell. Right. You know? Uh, so anyway, that's just many of them are Drew. <laughs> 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 and the funny thing is, is they all know it too. Yeah. And they all believe it in their heart of hearts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't believe in heaven, but I know there's a hell. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was my tangent to, I, I definitely see just coming from my perspective. I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, but I do find it interesting how the Northeast has that. I'm not going to use the word ghettoization. The word tribalism, I think, is way better. Where people just kind of still have the Polish, and like I, whenever I meet anybody from the Northeast, it's always amazing how people talk about it. And it's weird because all these people hate multiculturalism, but 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 at the same time, they're totally like, "Oh, let's go over to the Polish neighborhood and get some kielbasa," or like. <laughs> It's it's gotten to the point where everybody, you know, the melting pot has melted enough that the lines dividing them are kind of artifice. Um, but uh, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, it just doesn't. It just it's just a disaster. I mean, it just, it just busing was a disaster. The Reagan Democrats uh-huh. were a disaster. The race riots were a disaster. Um, Irish people I know are not thrilled by what, by how Irish Americans perform their Irishness. Um, <laughs> no shit. Yeah. <laughs> when I went to Ireland and I first heard the term plastic patty. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, "Wow, you got a term for it." They're like, "Oh yeah," I mean, we're like, they're like, "We love our American cousins. They're not Irish. They're Americans." Yeah, you know? and they're a not, lot. Really that's Irish. that's a conversation that really needs to be fucking had. Um, that that kind of drives me crazy and makes me really like. I'm so much tiptoeing around, seeming like I over-identify with Irishness because the good parts of Irishness are on the Emerald Isle. Not there's not good things about Irish Americanness, but um 
No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I just think it's interesting when you say people are performing their ethnicity. You yeah. know, like I like uh, and and uh, and and you're right. Like you know, subgroups. You know, or just subgroups in general do that. Subcultures do that. Gay gay people do that. You know, is when you start to be identify as gay, then all of a sudden you take on these traits that people at least maybe put on you. Right. Like all of a sudden you like show tunes. Yeah. You know, or you or, or Madonna or, or Lady Gaga. I'm not saying people don't honestly like those things. Right. But there is that identification that it begins to occur to, to be a part of the group. You know, uh, my friend Dave, uh, he was black and gay. He's like, I feel so trapped by both of my subcultures. Yeah, um, sure. He's like, he's like people. He, he gets offended, understandably, and people call him white because he's not like got like the, what they would think of as the stereotypical. I don't know, whatever African American interests. He's like, I'm black. <laughs> he's yeah. like, I am black. He's like, I don't. It, it's just, it's interesting how people, how we just want everybody to just play their roles, you know? Oh, for sure. And and how we start policing their definitions for them. Like, for fuck's sake, a black person in America knows they're fucking black. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he, he always talks about it. And, and like, I understand it. I, I mean, I don't completely understand his frustration, but I can understand it to a degree. Um, but it is... Yeah, it's that, and so when people like, you're talking about immigration and the work that I do, um, you know, one of my dreams, I think I already said this before, is to be able to stand up there. I won't be able to do this apparently because you have to be a federal judge to do this, but like to stand up there and say that my family has been here for hundreds of years. I mean, we don't even, we've tried, we've done DNA tests and we're mostly British and Irish or whatever, but like, you know, we've been here for so long, we don't remember the boat. Right. You know, yeah, like, of course. We, I mean, uh, and it was and it was hundreds of years ago and yeah. my parents loved to a lot of a lot of white americans really love to try and figure out if they're native american it's like a thing like where it's like i think it's this sense of it gives you more validity right of yeah. being here you yeah, know definitely. like my mom was so elated when she discovered that by her dna tested that she might be 10% native american we have like, this it- yeah <laughs> we we have a mutual friend um <laughs> <laughs> who who loves to do this riff about how he's part Cherokee? I think it's a joke, but <laughs> it's insane. Well, it's funny. It's like, what are you gonna do? Like, start making land claims? I know. This, like, seriously, you're gonna ask for reparations? Yeah, like um, you were raised. You were raised white. You are white. My mother's got blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, she's she's just kind of excited about it, but. I understand, like, like what you were saying earlier about being landed yeah, is, I think, something that Americans don't feel because we don't celebrate our Native heritage. And right. I don't mean our genetic Native heritage, but the fact that the people who lived here before us, many of whom are still here, of course, but we don't celebrate that. You know, we don't, we don't really enshrine that as something of our national history. It's that thing that was there before we got here. But, uh, but it's just it's interesting because I've always wanted to get up in front of a group of immigrants and naturalize them. And tell them the story about my family and say that my family's been here for 400 years. And as fucked up and shitty as this country can be, when you work in immigration, you hear people's stories from other countries, you start to feel pretty damn lucky you live here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But like, but like, but then you can also say to them, like, well, this is what I, what I, what I would say to them is that my family's been here for 400 years. And guess what? You now have just as much right to this place as I do. And I think that's pretty awesome. Uh well, we might have reached a natural endpoint. I think we have. I'm just kind of yeah. moaning at this point. Just a little, <laughs> little low-level moaning. I think a lot of people, I heard some comments that people actually liked how we just had a hard time letting go. And, yeah, uh, right. And, and stopping talking. Um, but you, I'm going to, go ahead. Did you see that movie you said you were going to see? 
Oh, were you talking about Manchester by the Sea? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually, I was literally about to say that. No, I haven't seen it yet. And speaking of Boston and the Northeast, I'm really excited to see the accents in that movie. Um, and I'm going on a date with a guy who I really like. Um, he, uh, I don't know, he's an interesting guy. Um, and it's actually, if you want to talk about poignant, his his, his mom's Irish, his dad's Italian American. Um uh, He's exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but but they're Texans, so that's a completely different thing. To, to, yeah, they're they're all definitely. they're all they're all they're like ranch people. So like definitely. Anyway, uh, ranch I, people. I, I, oh yeah, yeah, he's really into it. But all hat and no cattle, or they have uh, some cattle. They got some cattle. Uh, I still haven't dove too deep into the politics, but we'll get there. Um, um, but anyway, yeah, should probably go. Let's. I feel like we hit our natural climax probably about 10 minutes ago. Whatever. Um, that's okay. I've enjoyed just the, the act of speaking with you. They'll slurp this shit right out of the diarrhea hose. <laughs> so where do you feel like you fall between? Are, are you like a... Are you are you like a... Uh, 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 I'm not going to say Wolf Blitzer. He's just the announcer. But are you, are you, are you more Kellyanne Conway or Corey Landowski? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh. <laughs> Kellyanne Conway I would like to think that if a Democrat paid me a similar money amount of money <laughs> as Kellyanne Conway that I could be as ruthless and that I could play to the lowest common denominator like let's say if Ralph Nader paid you that money. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Would you do I'm, it? <laughs> that, that, I have that kind of brain. Um, Alyssa prizes it. She thinks it's one of my strong points because um, she doesn't have a bone in her body that's like not disgusted by politicians. But um, I guess I would say Kellyanne Conway. I don't. I don't know. Maybe Corey Lewandowski is a secret genius, but. I don't want to physically assault anybody beside myself. Mm. Besides myself. Well, let's work on that a little bit, too. Okay. Yeah. That's your homework assignment. We'll talk to you next time about that. Looking forward to it. I, a little bird told me we might be getting into some Elton John. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I am only going to listen to the Elton records that I have on 8-track. That is going to be my <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I I feel so underprepared for this. I have like a few tracks. I have Goodbye Yellow Card, of course. Yeah. Which ones are you going to be listening to? I kind of want to have a fr- similar frame of reference. Um, I think I got Rock of the Westie. <laughs> <laughs> um, my God, that was not the one I was expecting. A single man. Um, uh-huh. don't shoot Mad- me. I'm just the pl- piano player. Madman across the water. Um, I have that on vinyl, so I won't be listening. Oh, you can't to listen it. to yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I have Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on a track. Thank God. Okay, good. Thank um, God. That's, that's, that's gonna be the crux. Yeah, that's the one for me. Um, although I like the early, all the early stuff, but um, he Air, had he had like this the- kind of what I recall from those kind of middle period like pre-80s, but post being the baddest motherfucker on the planet era. <laughs> um, Sorry seems to be the hardest word. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
he had these kind of middling records like Rod Stewart's Atlantic Crossing that are like, you can't live on it, but it's not really like despicable. It's not as yeah. despicable as a bad company record or whatever. <laughs> um, Rod Stewart had this weird thing going on too, where he was like, he was like putting out like, it's like half his albums. He was still trying to satiate his very, very prodigious muse. Yeah. And the, and the other half, he was trying to satisfy whatever lady he had in bed. You exactly. Know, it, it, it was just, it was this weird, I just, that's the weirdest, weirdest transition. That, 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 really... that, that and Phil Collins, I'll say. Yeah. Kind of the weirdest transitions I've ever seen. That's definitely, Phil Collins definitely true. All I can say for that, going through my period reading 30 Led Zeppelin biographies, <laughs> is is that that first generation of megastar bands had absolutely no antecedent about how to conduct themselves and like no. whether they were artists or whether they were just you know sex toys um and you know for you know from my joe lunchpail lace curtain iron irish place i can say Oh, it must have been pretty tough for them to figure out how to have sex on airplanes and <laughs> snort cocaine. But yeah. um but they really didn't know. Like Yeah. That's why Zepp Zeppelin's quality control until the end. Um yeah. is like really staggering and startling to me. Do you do you feel that there is there is this weird dividing line where like all of a sudden every artist who was vital in the seventies just stopped making things or completely I'm not I hate saying the word sold out. Right. Let's just say experimented more with their popular side. Definitely. You they know? indulged <laughs> in commercialism as a yeah. kind of performance it, art piece. But um, it just happened like Bowie, like yeah. you know, it's like it's it's like Peter Gabriel was excellent. Uh, uh, like and so is not a bad album. It's definitely got some right. good stuff. Right. Uh but like Melt is like this fucking masterpiece. Right. You know, it's it's an incredible album. And it Phil really Collins is. Plays, Phil Collins plays drums on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, they're like 1986. Genesis and Peter Gabriel are like the number one artists. It was like 11 years ago. These people were on stage wearing flower costumes. You know. No, exactly, definitely. Um, yeah, the Springsteen biography is really interesting oh, yeah. about that because he feels this sort of guilty desire to stay true to his roots um but like he's in this opposite place where like bruce if you could just dial back your roots a little bit and like and like the allegory of like the tragedy and hope of him like if he just could have had a little sense of humor it would have been it's like why i think born in the usa is really great is because yeah there's fun, funny songs on it that aren't like, we're going to die on that bridge, <laughs> Marie, but yeah. I don't care. But uh, then there's Downbound Train, which is a beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, it's it as good as anything you ever wrote. Yeah, This might be one of the most depressing things I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. It's as good as anything he ever wrote. I know, but it's yeah. like in between Darlington County and I'm on fire. Like, yeah. Just, I'm going down is is my favorite of the singles. Although I still like I still like Dancing in the Dark. I don't know. It's, it's I do it's, too. It's like it's a great lyric. It, uh, oh, it I is. Uh, yeah, he never wrote another song like it. Yeah. Um. And and 
like it's his his only top ten hit. Um, he just he just decided he was gonna write a top ten hit, and he wrote a top ten hit. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. All right. Me. Yeah. Anyway, we gotta go. <laughs> yeah. We've just We're done another episode. We just on Born we, in the we, USA. <laughs> this Won't might be have to be like time. This is like a double pressing. Time. This is like a double pressing of the wall right now. We just. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> we just passed comfortably numb. It's time to go. So, uh, anyway, have a good night, Pat. Have a nice evening, Drew. Always a pleasure. See everybody next time for Elton John. Bye-bye. Eh.